read to you from Revelations chapter 2, and you know what it is. And so when I start reading, you're going to say, oh, he's going to talk to us about our first love. Well, just to set the record straight, I'm not going to talk to you about your first love. Okay, but listen to this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, those are the seven churches. This is what he says. I know your deeds. I know your toil and your perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men, that you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. He's writing a letter to a church that's been suffering. Amen? And he says, he starts the, the letter off by saying, I am the one who walks among the golden lampstands. He is the, the fire in the bush that is not burned up. He is the light in the candle. He is the, he is the, the, the flame of the torch, the pillar of fire. Amen? And he says, I know your deeds. And then everything he said so far, is it bad? He praises them for one thing they've done right after another. He says, you've got this right. You've got that right. You've done this. You've persevered. Verse 4. But I have this one thing against you. That's all I want to read from there. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, anoint us tonight to hear your word, to speak your word, God, without fumbling or stumbling, but in clarity and power. God, make known your truth to us. Love us by your word tonight, God, in Jesus' name. Open our eyes to see. Open our ears to hear. Quicken our minds to understand and our hearts to receive and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I have this one thing against you. You see, if Jesus had written that letter to the Ephesus church, as he did, but he had just written it like this. Dear church at Ephesus, I want you to know that you've forgotten your first love. And if you don't repent and do again the things that you did formerly and come back to me, I'm going to remove your lampstand. That's what he went on to say. Your light is going to go out. If he had just said that, they wouldn't have received him, would they? Somebody would have stood up and said, I can't believe God is saying this because that means I haven't gained any ground. Somebody would have started crying in despair. How could he be saying that? Haven't we persevered? Haven't we been loyal to the truth and getting rid of all the lies? Haven't we exposed the false apostles? And somebody else might have said, it can't be God. 
because we know what God spoke to us in those meetings and we obeyed. This is the devil trying to derail us from our purpose of obedience in Christ. Amen? There's a lot of different responses we can have when God comes and he says, I have this one thing against you. That's really the only thing we don't want to hear from him. If he says, I have everything against you, we can dismiss that as being too much. If he says, I have nothing against you, yeah, we're happy with that. Of course, all of us want to hear that. But if he says, I have one thing against you, that means it's something specific, pinpointed. And he is expecting us to change it. And that's what we don't like to hear. I had a situation happen, situation occur this week. And it reminded me of a situation that, or someone reminded me of a situation that occurred years ago. Amen. But in this context, a friend asked for some help in a situation, and I didn't know any of the details of the situation, but I just shared with them my heart based on what I heard coming from their heart about the correction. And I felt the liberty to do that because I recognized somebody's voice, the voice of me, of the flesh, the voice that's in each one of us. That defensiveness is what I'm talking about. And so I, I uh, responded to that. And then in two other separate occasions, I had opportunity to, to share the identical thing that I shared with this third person over here. I shared it in two other circumstances and miraculously, it was exactly, it was tailor-made for their situations as well. Because they also were battling with correction. And you might say, whoa, what a supernatural event. And I do think God's word is anointed and we thank him for that. Amen. But it's not so supernatural. It's hypernatural. It's so predictable how human flesh responds to the correction that would perfect us. That it applies to everybody, myself included. Amen. Sean is two. Is he in here tonight? Hey, Sean. Can you see me? All right, good. He knows, he knows Proverbs 12 and 1. Are you going to say it for us? Can you say Proverbs 12 and 1? Say it really loud so I can hear it. That's right. Very good. Sean, that's the first time I've called on you to testify, but it won't be the last time. <laughs> the intensity of all of our eyes looking at him made him start to cry, but he said, Proverbs 12 and 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he that hates correction is stupid. We like to give that to them because they like to say the word stupid and we don't let them say it. But we give them one place where they can say it and they remember it there. <laughs> Amen. 
The hatred of correction is ubiquitous. Amen? The devil offers us two alternatives. The pride that we're already perfect and we don't need help. Or the self-pity that we're hopeless and we've never done anything right. And we want to wallow in one of those two extremes. Whenever somebody comes to us, we don't want to hear them say, one thing I have against you. And just receive that on its own merit and let God change us. Because that's within reach. And that takes humility. We want to hear him say, you're a total loss. You're a failure. How many times have you felt God start to deal with you? And you turned to someone in tears and said, but I thought I was gaining ground. I thought I overcame these things. Well, maybe you did. Amen. God didn't say he had that against you. He just has one thing that he wants you to change because he doesn't want you to lose your lampstand. Could you hear God say to you tonight, one thing I have against you? And could you receive that and change it if you heard it? Let me illustrate what I'm saying. If I was trying to go somewhere, if I was trying to get somewhere I needed to be, and somebody said, well, you've got to go, but there's some preparation that you have to do first. I'd say, okay, what is it? They'd say, well, you got to fill up the car with gas. Okay, I can do that. Oh, and you also have to change one of the tires. Oh, okay, I, I can do that. Oh, and the oil hasn't been changed in 10,000 miles. You need to do that as well. Oh, okay, all right, well. Oh, and by the way, the starter went out. You're going to have to fix that too. And before you go, I forgot the registration is expired. You're going to have to fix that as well. Now, what happens at some point when things get big enough, at some point I say, you know what, I can't go today. Do you understand? So when God comes to you and says that there's something specific that you need to do in order to get where you're going, it's in the devil's interest to exaggerate your problem. Because he wants you to stay right where you are and never go anywhere. I don't think you'll mind. Sister Frata told me today that when she was at a real low point, she didn't want to talk. She didn't want to have a conversation. This was years and years and years ago. She didn't want to have a conversation, didn't want to talk with me, didn't want to talk to Beck. And I told her, I said, God says, your life is a gift, but it's got a black spot on it. Let me wash it off. And the devil says, did you hear that? He just said your life was a black spot and he wanted to wash you away. She wouldn't let me talk to her, but I just said that, and that was all we talked about. And, and she, she felt, God, let, let that sink down into her heart. That, that he wasn't saying her whole life was a mess, that everything was a disaster. He was just putting the scalpel of his precise word on a very specific spot and saying, I believe you can change this. And she did. Amen. She's been living for God. Amen. Like all of us are trying to. Amen. Some of you say, I want to be like Sister Ephrata, don't you? Amen? Some of you girls say that, don't you? Hmm? I want to be a servant like that. I want, to, I, want to, I want to be used of God like that. Well, you're going to have to learn to, to distinguish between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. The voice of God is always exacting, it's precise, but it has love and faith and hope and promise behind it. And the voice of the enemy 
It's either denying and exalting yourself above any need for correction. Or it's exaggerating and despairing and plunging your head under the water saying nobody can ever change. But could you hear God if he spoke something very simple to your heart? And just told you, you got a flat tire, just fix that and be on your way. Now, the truth may be that he wants you to change the oil in a couple miles and he may want you to do other things in the days to come. But right now, he's just going to give you this day your daily bread and hope that you have the courage to receive it. Amen. Back around that same time, I woke up one morning and I, um, I felt like the Lord said, it was a Sunday morning, it was when we were having meetings at 10 o'clock. Amen. And I felt like the Lord told me, those who minimize my correction, I maximize the nature of the problem. But those who will maximize my word and see what it is for what it is, I will minimize the problem. And I saw it in King David's life. Amen. The man comes, the prophet comes, and he tells him this horrible picture. He paints this terrible portrait of a monster who took away this lamb from, the only, from, from this man who had nothing else. And, and he says, you are the man. Amen. And it's huge. It's big. It's terrible. And David falls on his face and he says, oh, God. Oh, he receives it. Amen. And an instant he falls on his face in repentance and remorse, in brokenness. The prophet says, and this minute the Lord has taken that sin away from you. Amen. What's happened there? The devil wants us to exaggerate it or to minimize it. He doesn't want us to take it right on its face value and just receive it for what it is. Now let's talk for a minute about the, the impulse that he puts in our heart to deny it. Okay? When I was in... When, we, when I was out of town for the last, uh, last month for three weeks or three and a half weeks, whatever it was, it was plenty long. And uh, I was missing home and missing my family. And when we were in Sydney, uh, I always, I, I'd already gotten her back a couple things, but we're in Sydney and I'm saying, you know, if I find something, I'm, I want to pick up something from Australia. Well, I was walking through the mall and I noticed uh, this artist who was uh, drawing people right there on the spot. And he was really good. And um, so I stopped and looked for a little bit. I think that's just amazing. To, with three strokes of the pencil, he's caught the lady's likeness sitting in front of him. And I, it was riveting to watch. And I said, this is what I'm going to get her. And I had a picture on my iPad of... Beck holding one of our babies that I really liked. And um, so I talked with him and discussed it. And we finally surmounted the technological difficulties of getting him the file over on his system. And, and sure enough, I left him one evening. And by, the, by 10 o'clock the next morning, he had it finished. And it was really nice. And um, right before, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I think I have a fairly critical eye. I, I, I've kind of been involved in graphics art for... 10 years or so, and, and I've, I have a pretty critical eye. And so um, I was. I was a little critical. And, and right before 
he sold it to me. He had a can in his hand of, of uh, what do you call that, Daniel? Yeah, it's, the, it's basically the finisher spray. And, and once he sprays it on there, it's almost like lacquering it. It just glues everything in place, and the, the pastel dust won't, won't filter off and, and won't be smudged. And those of you who are in art know what I'm talking about. And I noticed, you know, minor little things, and, but I held my tongue. And I'm glad I did. It's nice enough. But I, uh, right before he was going to spray it, he says, do you like it? Is there anything you want me to change on it? And I had that split second. Do I risk him messing it up worse? Or do I, do I just accept what it is and go with it? So he sprays it every corner. And it's set. It's finished. If I then pipe up and say, you know what? I wish you would have put a little more shadow right under her nose. And the chin needs a little tighter cleft. And anything like that. It's a waste. Do you understand? He can't, he can't go back and mess it up now that he's already sprayed over it. You say, Ozzy, where are you going with this? Amen. Well, you'll see. If, if a person comes and looks over a project, let's say uh, a carving or a, or a piece of canvas art or whatever it is, if, some, if a person comes in while the artist is working on it and that person says, you know what? I would change this. Do you notice that that the shadow falls on this side of the rock over here, but the opposite side over there, and that's not possible, and why don't you correct that? The artist, if, he has, if he's not an arrogant chap, he's going to be appreciative that something he's poured that much effort into, he can actually see the improvement. He wants to improve it. Do you understand? He's like, oh, yeah, thanks. I didn't see that. You know? Do you understand? However, if that artist has already finished it, and it's already sprayed. It's already hardened. The lacquer's set. And you come in and start pointing all that out. It can only have one effect on that artist. If it can't be changed, then correction equals despair. Let me bear that out. If God's correction in my life equals despair, it's because I believe the lie that I cannot change. But if it can be changed... And if I don't see myself as a finished product, as sprayed and lacquered and set and ready, but I believe that my life, yes, it is a work of art, but God is the artist. And He's not going to put the finish on until heaven. Then every little bit of correction, when He takes the palette knife and He scrapes something free, He takes the pencil and He outlines something, or... He takes the brush and he splatters this and shrieks, streaks that with red. Everything about that is encouraging to me because it says, I, God cares about me. Once he's lacquered me and there's a problem, the only thing that can happen is for him to bunch me up and throw me in the garbage. Amen? But if he knows he has something special that he's working on, Leave it unlacquered and let him keep working. Amen. We quote the scriptures, but in our hearts, we don't believe them. They've become cliche. The Lord disciplines those he loves and scourges every son he receives. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But in the end, 
It yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that the Lord disciplines. You know what the word scourges means? Scourges every son he receives. What does the word scourge mean? Hmm? It means to whip. Blows on your back. That's what it means. The Bible says he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. But it's painful at the time. We don't believe the Lord disciplines those he loves and scourges every son he receives. We believe the Lord disciplines those he hates and scourges every son he rejects. Isn't that what the devil tells us? Every time God sees something valuable in us and he starts to give us more attention than he's giving others, we say, oh, no, what's wrong with me? I'm a failure. There's nothing good in my life. And he says, no, no, no. You've done this right and that right and this is perfect. But I just have this one thing against you. Would you trust me? The knife is in my hand. Amen. Don't shake. Let me do this. Amen. Would you trust me? Painful at the time. But it's an expression of God's love. Amen. You ask any artist. Brother Doyle would tell you this. You ask any artist. There's a point in their work of art. And I even find this digitally. There's a point when I'm designing something. Where I either know I have something to work with. Or I don't. And typically, it's very early on. And at some point, Daniel, tell me if I'm wrong, you either rip that canvas off and bunch it up and throw it in the trash, or you say, whew, I think I have something here. I like the way the light reflects off of that. That's perfect posture. The composition could be a little tighter, but I'll just move him in a little bit and turn her head this way, and I've got it. Do you understand? At some point, you see that there's something to work with here. And what is that producing you? It says, I'm going to keep working on this. I'm going to keep disciplining this. I'm going to keep sharpening on this. I'm going to keep dealing with this. It's no different with our lives. When God sees that he's got something to work with early on, we give him the indication, God, I'm going to be something for you. I'm going to be true. I'm going to be, I'm going to be faithful to the end. At some point, we give him that indication. And he starts pouring the attention. He starts putting his time into this canvas. But then the devil wants to whisper in our ear and say, God's only picking on you because he doesn't like you. Things are only happening bad in your life because God doesn't like you. You only got rebuked for saying that because you never changed at all. And there's nothing good in you. Amen. Well, we know in our flesh there's nothing good. But we also know that we've come a long ways from just a complete surrender to the flesh. And we have made changes. We have gained ground. Amen. We are a different person than we were a year ago. Yes, we may have made mistakes, but that only showed us more of ourselves and more of God's love. Amen. So when he comes and says, I have this one thing against you, 
We're not going to exaggerate it. We're not going to minimize it. We're going to accept and trust that he loves us exceptionally. That's why he's spending more time on our canvas. About who I used to be Then Satan had to whisper That's the man he still sees He said he saw a failure And it was hard not to agree I've got my share of demons Barking up the tree Then he posed a little question And with a snicker asked Why didn't I stop Kidding myself, did I think this change was gonna last? But I've been lost in the blood of the Lamb and I won't ever turn around. I've been set free from all those sins that held me bound. And though I may fail, I won't ever stop. I ain't ever gonna go back just in case. Devil asks oh, oh. Satan tempts and taunts me Saying you'll never win You're not good enough Because of all your past sin And the triumph will be his If he can make me turn in But the nature of redemption Is that I've been born again And I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb And I won't ever turn around I've been set free from all those sins That held me bound Devil.